0: We are starting the Book of Ephesians uh, this morning, and uh, I I'm not, wasn't sure how to title this message, and I finally came up with uh, the thought of the basics of the gospel. And uh, we are going to be uh, be reminded of the profound but basic um, principles, truths of the gospel as we go through this book. Now, let me give you a little bit of background to this passage. Um, Paul is writing from a Roman prison around the, the year A.D. 61. Um, this church in Ephesus uh, was uh, started by Paul, and he brought Aquila and Priscilla to Ephesus to oversee the church on his uh, second missionary journey in A.D. 52. Um, On Paul's third missionary journey, uh, Paul spent a good amount of time in Ephesus. He taught the people of Ephesus for three years. And so um, the the people of Ephesus were well-learned in in the Bible at that time. And uh, uh, Paul's third missionary journey was between the years 53 to 57, and during those years, the last part of that time, uh, those three years were in Ephesus. Now, if you read the book of Acts, um, Acts chapter 19 and verse 20 in chapter twenty, are, is a great background to all that was transpiring, taking place in Paul's ministry, and in setting up uh, the book of of Acts. And um, let me let's just read in Acts chapter twenty. Let's look at verses twenty eight through thirty two. Chapter. 19, Paul had been driven from the, the city of Ephesus and uh, went on with his journey. And when he was in Miletus, he called the elders of the church of Ephesus to come uh, meet him there. And in verse 28 of chapter 20, let's uh, read through verse um, 32. He's with the elders now. And he says this, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will rise men Speaking twisted things to draw, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admon- admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend to you, commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And those words that he encouraged the elders with, that is what the book of Ephesus is all about. It is for our edification, uh, discipling us, informing us, teaching us all that God has already done in our lives, he taught that to the, the Church of Ephesus for three years, and uh, the book of, Eph, uh, of Ephesians is more of that same teaching that the church had already was already familiar with. Now as we go through the book of Ephesians the uh, the book is divided I would say into three parts. Okay, the first three chapters have are 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 focus on the foundation of our faith. Focus on doctrine. It's there is a wealth of information and we are rich church in Christ in the the in the heavenly realm and we're going to be looking at that carefully. And so that is the first three chapters. And then chapters 4 and 5 it deals with our walk. Chapters one through three deal with our wealth in Christ. Chapters four and five deal with our walk. It's very practical application of how we are to live our lives. And then in chapter six, uh, it deals with spiritual warfare, our our fight amongst. Uh, the enemy, Satan himself, and how we are to uh, dress ourselves as children of God. So with that in mind, uh, let's begin with uh, chapter 1, and we're going to go through the first six verses this morning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him Before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy. And blameless before him. In love. He predestined us. For adoption as sons. Through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose. Of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace. Which he has blessed us. In the beloved. So it this 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 praise of thanksgiving uh continues through verse uh, 14 and we're not going to read all that this morning but uh just know this in verses 3 through 14 this is one continuous sentence in the greek okay and it is just rich it is full of meaning but uh as we look at uh, chapter 1 It says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Paul didn't become an apostle because he wanted to. No, he was an enemy of God. He was an enemy of the church, and he was looking to persecute Christians. He was on the road to Damascus when he was confronted by the Lord Jesus Christ and said, and Jesus Christ told Paul, "Paul, you are now going to be my servant. You are going to be my spokesperson to the Gentiles." Paul wasn't looking for this. His heart, that that I thought that idea was not on the radar. He was the total opposite. But it was through that encounter that Jesus captured Paul's heart, and he became an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see this in verse 1. This is the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus. Who are the saints? It's not the super spiritual of the church that has maybe has done a miraculous thing and everybody has voted on their sainthood. No, the saints are all the Christians. Okay? Saint means set apart. And when a person comes into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and we're going to see this, we are set apart. And he identifies all of God's children as saints. And so Paul is writing to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Do you see yourself as a saint? You think of yourself as a saint. God sees his kids as saints. And this is who we are. Um, the church has an identity problem. Okay? And, uh, and Paul is wanting to encourage them and help them to understand, once again, all that God has done in their lives. And so Paul says, you are saints to the saints he is writing. And they are saints who are faithful. They are exercising their faith and they are continuing in their faith. And they are living in a very pagan city. Okay, Ephesus is uh the capital of what we know now today is uh modern Turkey but uh Asia in in this 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 time period and uh, it is a it is a bustling it is a booming city. It's there's uh I mean the east and the west travel through Ephesus, okay? But Ephesus is very Materialistic ephesus is is preoccupied with uh, sex and sensuality and superstition. Uh, there is a temple that has been built to the the Greek goddess Diana or Artemis uh, in the city of Ephesus and this temple is huge; it was one of the Seven Wonders of the Ancient World, and uh, this this temple was um, had a lot of wealth associated with it, and uh, there was this uh, there was this uh, the statue uh, of Diana in this in this temple, and there were hundreds of priestesses uh, who were serving in this temple as Prostitutes. There is an enormous amount of occult activity that's taking place in this city. And this is where the church of Ephesus finds itself. And you can learn more about this context uh, by going to the book of Acts and reading chapter 19. And we'll not go through the details of that this morning. But uh, just understand that there were two streams of opposition in this city, uh, in opposition of the gospel. There were the Jews, and there was the occult. And so, these Christians, these saints, are they—they're living in difficult times, and so. Paul writes this letter and he begins with a lengthy doxology of praise to God the Father for all that he has done. Um, Now, I'm sure that the church of Ephesus was very concerned about Paul because they knew he was in a Roman prison. And here this letter comes, and they're probably thinking to themselves that Paul is going to talk about his situation and how they can pray for Paul. But that's not how Paul starts out the letter. It is all about what God has done in the believer's life. It is a doxology of praise. And Paul isn't sitting worried about his situation. Paul is writing and he is worshiping. Paul is not blaming God for his situation. Paul is blessing God. And so what has happened here? You know, it goes back to last week in Psalm 107. Paul's sitting in a prison cell writing these things. But Paul has been delivered spiritually. He's not feeling sorry for himself. He's writing these words to encourage the church as to who God is. He he is glorifying um, his God and his Savior, Jesus Christ. And he wants the church to know these blessings. He wants you, my friend, to know these blessings. Are you sitting in a prison this morning, emotionally or spiritually? And it's hard to sleep. It's hard to concentrate. You don't. You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. I want to encourage us this morning to allow Paul's words to encourage all of our hearts that that he deliver you from your prison of despondency and that you set your mind on things above rather than the things of the earth and let him deliver you. Let him encourage your hearts. Because that's what Paul is doing in this passage this morning. So he says this in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Boy, that doesn't sound like a guy that's sitting in a prison cell, does it? No. No. He's thinking, he's overwhelmed with who God is and what he's done in Paul's life. And this is what he says. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing all at once. And when did he do this? Verse four. He did this before the foundation of the world. Think about that for a minute, Christian. God blessed you with every spiritual blessing before you were born, before time began, Paul is saying, God knew your name. You would be living here and now. But before even time began, God blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. It is all yours. That's what God thinks about you. Have you ever considered that? Did you know that? Paul is letting us know this morning. You know, occasionally, I haven't been asked this question uh, recently, but uh, when I was going through school and, and things of this nature, every once in a while, someone would ask me, have you received the second blessing? And, you know, why do I need the second blessing when we've got them all, okay? We've been blessed with every single one in the heavenly. So why settle for two, okay? We've got them all. Now, these spiritual blessings, they're not material. They're not earthly blessings, they are blessings that money cannot buy and death cannot take away. These blessings are invisible and heavenly and can never be stolen or lost. Okay? They're, they are yours for all eternity. And so as Paul goes through these blessings, and there are several, and it's going to take us another couple of weeks to go through them all as we walk through, verses, through f- verse 14. But these, these blessings are Trinitarian in division. Okay, so just a bit of an overview for the next couple of weeks. The, the, the blessings are Trinitarian. We are chosen by the Father, In verses 4 through 6. We're redeemed by the Son in verses 7 through 12. And then we are sealed with the Spirit in verses 13 and 14. And so this morning we're going to uh, go through the first two blessings um, as we are chosen by the Father. So in verse 4, let's go to verse 4. Paul says, and even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That's the first blessing, that we are chosen to be holy and blameless. Okay, So when you see those words, um, holy and blameless, that's not talking about ethical conduct that's talking about our position our reality of who we are in christ paul says that before time began before the foundation of the world god chose you to be holy and blameless he justified you before you were born. He chose you and justified you, called you not guilty before you were even born. This is your position in Christ. He looks at you, He sees you as holy. And blameless. How can he do that? Because you are in in his son. You are in Christ. And this is the first blessing in our life. This, my friend, is the meaning of the gospel. There's nothing that you and I could do to save ourselves. God chose you before you were born. And I'm glad he chose me before I was born because if he waited to choose me after I was born, he probably would have changed his mind, okay? Just kidding there. But the Bible says he chose us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. And that's how God sees his people. And I don't know about you, but I don't deserve that. To understand this crushes one's pride. That there's nothing that you could do or could have done to have saved yourself. It is all the grace of God. And why did he do this? He did this because he loves you. Paul says, we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us God loves you. God loved you before the foundation of the world. God knew your name. He knew when you were going to be born. And before you came into existence, Paul says he already chose you. You belong to him. Why is Paul starting off with this, with the Ephesus church? Because they are suffering from an identity crisis. They have forgotten. I mean, they had, they had hundreds, if not thousands of hours of teaching from the Apostle Paul over those three years when he was in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus. But the climate that they are living in, it's been four or five years now since Paul was in that city. And they have been feeling the pressure and the the paganism and uh, just the attacks by the enemy. And they've forgotten who they are in Christ. And that's no different from you and I, church when we're going through difficult times, when we're going, find ourselves sitting in in our spiritual prisons, we forget that God's there. We forget that we belong to him. And so Paul is writing these words to remind the church of who they are in Christ. second blessing. Verse 5. He's chosen us to be holy and blameless in Him. Verse 5. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. He predestined us. So when He was choosing us He was thinking of our lives And he he adopted us as his children. Now, think of this courtroom, okay? You're in this courtroom, and the judge is God the Father. And uh, in this courtroom, in verse 4, he's pronounced us not guilty. He's justified us. We are without blame. We are, uh, we are holy. But he goes further than that. He doesn't just pronounce us not guilty and, and just send everybody out of the courtroom. We're in that courtroom, and as his child, he looks at each one of us. And Paul says he's adopted us. He's predestined us. To adoption, which means not only are you not guilty, but God says, I want you to come home with me. I want you to be my child. I want you to have the same inheritance that I'm going to give to my son, Jesus Christ. This is our relational position in him. Okay, we've, we've looked at our positional reality that we are holy and blameless, but our relational reality is that we're adopted. We're his sons and daughters. Some of you have been adopted. Some of you have adopted other children. And that has meant the world to you. I I love watching videos of children, particularly foster children, you know, have been in a lot of different homes, but now they're with a family that wants to adopt them. And oftentimes it's on their birthday that they will... Put a gift together, and uh, the child will read the gift, letting them know that their foster parents now want to become their parents, their adoptive parents, and the um, the emotional response of those children is overwhelming. They're wanted. They belong in this home. The siblings' inheritance has now become their inheritance. They are one and the same. Church, this is what God the Father has done for every one of his children. He's pronounced us not guilty. And he said, "Come home with me. You are now my child." Golly, that—that's just incredible news that Paul is sharing in this passage of scripture. Now, I know that as we, as we look at this doctrine, election, it is a very controversial subject with a lot of Christians. A lot of Christians hate this doctrine of election because they feel like it just removes any free will that they have. I want to encourage you as a child of God to study this subject and know what the Word of God says. Yes, you have A responsibility to believe. And we're going to get into that more in Ephesians chapter two. And the Bible teaches both whosoever will and chosen. And when we look at our responsibility and God's sovereignty, it's two parallel tracks you know what? the child of God cannot reconcile. Don't try to reconcile these things. just rest in what the Word of God says. But if you have believed, if you struggle with whether or not you're cho- chosen, if you're one of those who have are the whosoevers who have believed what God has done, guess what you are, elected. The Bible says this in John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. John 11:26, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Revelation 22, verse 17, and the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come, and let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Whosoever will. Believe on Him as you believe on Him, as you walk through that, that door of faith, and as you go, look close the door and look behind you, on the top of that door, it's going to read, I have chosen you. And He did it before the foundation of the world. This is what God has done. This is what God thinks of us. Someone said about election and predestination, it's like a pineapple. It's prickly on the outside, but it is sweet on the inside. And why did he do these things? Verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us, In the beloved, that we might praise God the Father's glorious grace in our lives. Do you understand grace? It is unmerited, unconditional favor. We can't earn it, we can't do anything to obtain it. It is purely the grace of God. And God has poured that out in the believers' lives. And so in verse 6, look at verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. Next week we're going to be looking at what Jesus has done and go to verse 12. Verse 12, it says, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory and then the following week, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit, verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. Church, we are here this morning to praise God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit for all the blessings that, that he's provided in our lives before time began. We sang the doxology at the beginning of the service. You were a bit anemic. We're going to sing it again in a little bit. And this time I want you to sing it from the top of your lungs because of what God has done in our our lives to the Praise of His glorious grace, and so my question to you this morning: You can't even tell that Paul was sitting in a Roman prison. He was overwhelmed with the grace of God in his life. How he's been blessed. In the heavenly places. For all eternity. Those blessings are never going to run dry. His steadfast love is going to last. How long? Forever Forever and ever. Oh give thanks to the Lord. For he is good. Amen? Amen. My friend. If you're in a spiritual prison this morning. You're a child of God. But life is getting the best of you. Dwell upon these truths. You are holy and blameless before God the Father. He has completely justified you, chosen you, and has said, you're my child. Come home with me. That's our relationship that we have with God the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. So if you're in that pit this morning, allow God's word to encourage your heart and praise him. Learn to praise him Where you are, for his glorious grace in your life. And he will elevate your spirit. Would you bow your head with me, please? Father, thank you for these truths this morning and your love that runs deep. God, encourage your people. May they may we all understand our identity in Christ, which is so important as we continue to navigate our our lives through this materialistic paganistic world in which we live. Thank you that our lives are in you. Lord, if there's one here this morning who's never made that decision for Christ, but today they know that they need to make that decision. Lord, may they be obedient and do so. And in doing so, may they know that, God, you chose them (laughs) in making that decision. Before time began. Thank you, Father, for your great grace that we don't deserve. May we praise you and give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.